The Literate Caveman, Episode 10, The Logic of Failure. Welcome to the Literate Caveman Podcast. This podcast offers reviews of excellent books that you may not be familiar with, as well as addressing the topic of mindset in general. I'm your host, Chad Blake, and today we are going to continue our review of The Logic of Failure by Dietrich Dorner. In our last episode, we reviewed Dorner's five different categories of goals. To recap those briefly, goals can be 1. Positive or negative, 2. General or specific, 3. Clear or unclear, 4. Simple or multiple, 5. Explicit or implicit. As we are working through the book, Dorner encourages the reader to get very specific with their goal setting, but also cautions the reader to be flexible, prepared to act when opportunities present themselves, and not to be overly rigid in their approach. Today, we are going to explore some real-life examples he provides of how people deal with goals and introduce what Dorner calls repair service behavior. He opens this section returning to his Greenvale experiment. For anyone who missed earlier discussions about that, Greenvale is a fictional town in northern England that Dorner's participants were put in charge of through a sophisticated computer program. They were given pretty much unlimited power to pursue any measures they could think of to improve conditions in this fictional town. The initial goal set for the participants was to provide for the well-being of the citizens. Now, if you know anything about studies, especially studies about human behavior, the premise of the study is often a misdirect. Sometimes, you might even call it a trap. What I mean by that is in order for the people conducting the study to learn what they are trying to learn, The participants cannot be aware of what administrators actually want to see. A quick example is that of a well-known study that was conducted to determine if people have a finite amount of willpower. The participants were given a task to complete that was not possible to complete. Of course, they did not know it was impossible, and I do not know what the task was. I have always assumed it was some kind of puzzle. So the participants believed the point was solving the task. But since the task was impossible, that was clearly not the point. And here was the trick. Before the participants thought the study was starting, they were offered a cookie. Just an innocent little cookie before the study commenced. But the cookie was actually the point. Some participants accepted the cookie, others rejected it. Now, the common opinion would be that the people who rejected the cookie had stronger willpower than the people who accepted it. That would certainly, absolutely be my own view. What the administrators of the study found was the participants who accepted the cookie worked on the impossible task longer than the people who rejected it. Their conclusion was that the participants individually possessed a finite amount of willpower, and if they used some of that willpower rejecting the cookie, they had less willpower to commit to the impossible task. I have told a lot of people this story over the years, and I am often met with skepticism about the results. That's fine. I have my own questions about it. But for today's purpose, the result of that study is not important. The point, remember, is that in many studies, especially studies on human behavior, the participants are not in on the joke, so to speak. They may think they know what the study is about, but if they really knew, it would skew the results. How that relates to what Dorner is telling us about his Greenville experiment is straightforward enough. I am not suggesting the goal of provide for the well-being of the citizens was a deception, but I think it was intentionally vague. 
I think Dorner wanted to see if participants would take that vague goal, examine it, try to convert it into a specific goal, and thus discover within the explicit goal of provide for the well-being of the citizens the various implicit goals required and work through the process of trying to run a fictional town. In the text, Dorner explains that the goal of provide for the well-being of the citizens is unclear, complex, and not useful as a guidepost for action. He goes on to say, We need to break the unclear goal of well-being down into its components and take a close look both at them and at their interrelationships. And this is where many people encounter their first difficulties. They don't analyze their complex goal. End quote. Here Dorner introduces what he calls repair service behavior. His explanation stems from his Greenville experiment. He explains that when their participants, filling the role of mayor of the fictional town, were given the vague, non-specific goal of provide for the well-being of the citizens, the trend was to search for things that were malfunctioning, and once identified, the immediate goal becomes fixing what is broken. He tells us that one of his participants posted himself at the front doors of a supermarket and asked housewives what complaints they had. Dorner tells us an approach like this is guaranteed to produce results. The problem is a list of complaints is randomly generated and hopelessly nonspecific. Thus, the mayor who approaches problems this way will be far more likely to be spending their time running around, dealing with minor problems and overlooking important problems. In repair service behavior, while the mayor solves the problems that are brought to his attention, more serious problems can easily be overlooked. Dorner uses traffic accidents as an example of this principle. He says that at a traffic accident, sometimes people whose injuries are relatively minor will attract more attention because the seriously wounded are no longer screaming and calling attention to their needs. Quoting from the text, he states, It may happen that those who need little help get it all, and those who need it most get none. And so it often is, with the partial problems of difficult and complex situations, end quote. A very real concern about repair service behavior is that the wrong problems may be solved. Instead of discovering the connections between problems and identifying the larger problems that have a large impact, problems get approached because they are obvious or because we feel competent to deal with them. We need to be cautious about setting priorities based on the criteria of obviousness. One example he provides is of a participant who had experience in social services. He tells us that once this participant discovered that some children in Greenville were having difficulties in school, this consumed all her attention. She knew how to deal with these issues and she knew what kind of questions to ask. Part of what is interesting is this participant, who, remember, was assigned the role of mayor of the entire town, focused all her energies on education, gradually narrowing her focus until she was dealing with the challenges of a single fictional student. Quoting from the text, This mayor selected problems on the basis of her competence, not solving the problems she needed to solve, but the ones she knew how to solve. Another concern about repair service behavior is it can lead to a disregard for problems that do not exist currently, but will emerge in due time. Developing problems can remain invisible to someone who is focused on a list of randomly generated issues. At this point in the text, Dorner brings up one of the main themes of the book, and that is that 
people have a limited capacity to deal with time, specifically with predicting the consequences of choices. He cautions that repair service behavior can lead to not noticing small problems that can develop quickly, reaching a point where they appear to have happened very suddenly. In addition to this, humans seem to be wired to be drawn to challenges. This can be good, but the draw to challenges can interfere with our effectiveness, perhaps I should say our focus, when dealing with complex systems. There are conditions for our interest in challenges. There needs to be some hope of success, but for most people, if success is guaranteed, it is too boring to be interesting. On the other hand, if the challenge is too difficult, it can be too frustrating to keep us engaged. Dorner uses casinos as an example of a challenge that appears to a broad range of people. The sweet spot for most people seems to be about a 50-50 chance of success or failure. In the text, he recounts one of his participants in his Tanaland experiment who got focused on an irrigation project. The goal was to improve the pasture land for the livestock, but in the course of events, the goal got lost in the process. The challenges of establishing an effective, successful irrigation system became primary, the participant apparently losing sight of the goal it began with. Dorner tells us that a psychologist whose name I cannot pronounce, at least the last name, the first name is Mihaly. I won't attempt the last name, I will butcher it. I would guess it is a Czech name or perhaps Polish. There is an abundance of consonants. So many consonants. So, apologies to Mihaly. The term coined is flow experience. This is the fascination exerted by work that constantly poses new challenges of moderate difficulty. Anyone who engages in careers or activities that are difficult, but that also yield success, are susceptible to flow situations. Quoting from the text, Dorner tells us, A flow situation is one in which tension is built up, then released, a sequence in which the individual experiences fear of failure, triumph over obstacles, renewed fear of failure, another triumph, and so on. Goals that are nonspecific and vague can make us more vulnerable to flow experience. This brings us to our word of the day, which I think might be one of the most awkward words I have defined yet. Concretization. Concretization from concretize, according to Merriam-Webster, is to make concrete, specific of definite. In the text, Dorner states that inadequate concretization of goals leaves us vulnerable to flow experience. He goes on to explain that flow experience is a trap that can ensnare anyone with a curious mind. Reading the text and thinking over my own observations, it seems there are two primary categories that apply. The first is a person who identifies a challenge within what they are working on and latch on to it because it gives them some direction, something to focus on, even something they can explain they are trying to sort out. So when overwhelmed by the complexity or the uncertainty of a problem, the distraction can become a kind of beacon, just not a beacon that will result in a positive outcome for our primary goal. It is important to keep in mind when something like this is discovered, it is something we need to deal with. What we need to be cautious about is letting it become the primary thing. I'll go over the second category, and then I will provide a quick personal example. The second category, as I see it, is someone who gets distracted to the point where they become an expert in the subject that triggered the flow experience. 
Dorner tells us in the text that many social scientists who have set out to write computer programs they could use to evaluate an experiment have woken up years later to find themselves computer specialists. Obviously, when we are learning about a primary subject or problem, we are going to learn about other subjects relating to the problem that we did not know about before. The danger is in letting that shiny new secondary problem become the focus. In the text, Dorner goes with his example of the social scientist who has become a computer specialist by telling us, they will hardly have realized that they have long since lost sight of their real goal and become addicted to the fascination, challenges, and triumphs of working with a computer. An interim goal has dislodged the primary goal. That last sentence is the key, and that is what we want to be mindful of. I could provide several personal examples of getting tripped up by a flow experience. I will use a recent one. Late last year, I decided to start doing voiceover work. I have been long overdue for a career change, and voiceover seems like a good fit for me. But it is an industry that I knew nothing about, so there was a learning curve. A massive learning curve. In addition to learning about the voiceover industry, I had to learn how to edit audio. And that is where flow experience almost tripped me up. I have been editing video for a while now, and I assumed there would be some overlap between the two skill sets. There is but audio is much more complex and nuanced. I really did not know anything about sound before I got rolling, and it took a while to get my head around it. It turns out, there is an entire industry of people who edit audio full-time, for audiobooks, video games, commercials, and so forth. There is a lot one could learn about editing audio, and I need the ability to edit my own audio, although I think there may be a point in my career where I contract some of that out, but I do not need to become a full-fledged audio engineer. I am curious about it. There is a lot to learn. That is a strong draw for me. But if I let myself get lost in the weeds mastering that, I will end up with an audio engineer career instead of a voiceover career. When one discovers an interim goal, we cannot afford to ignore it. If I ignored learning to edit audio, I would get no work as a voiceover artist. But if we let the interim goal become the main goal, we risk losing sight of the main goal altogether. And it is not just a distraction. There is a level of comfort in identifying and working on a challenge we can handle, especially if we feel overwhelmed by the main problem we are trying to address. It also gives us something to point to if anyone asks us how our project is going, and I think that can ease some psychological stress. As Dorner continues discussing this, he states that the process of allowing an interim goal to dislodge a primary goal is a degenerative one. An analogy he uses is, scientists bow down to this effect when they find the works of a clock more interesting than the time the clock measures. He goes on to say, they think they can find security in things that seem absolute to them and that protect them from all contradiction. End quote. Two things lead to goal degeneration. First, a desire for safety. Second, a lack of confidence in one's own abilities. Dorner points out that someone lacking in confidence will be most intent on security. Another way to phrase that is a person lacking in confidence will be more risk-averse. The root of this goes back to Dorner's emphasis on clearly identifying our primary goals. When this step of the planning process does not get the attention it needs, we do not have the specifications to set priorities, and 
quoting from the text, we will choose the most obvious problems, or the ones that we already know how to solve. When we realize we are working on the wrong problems, it makes us more uncertain. People may react to this realization differently, but a common result is digging in and working harder on what will turn out to be the wrong problems. This happens because even though the problem absorbing our focus has displaced the primary goal, it is a problem or set of problems we feel like we can deal with and experience some success. Some of this, I am certain, is social. When we can point to something we have done well, it takes pressure off the things we have not done well, at least on a certain level. Dorner wraps up this section of text with a reminder that the root of much of this is poorly defined primary goals. He then emphasizes that while repair service behavior is a form of goal degradation and a displacement of our primary goals, it is better than doing nothing. Quoting from the text, If we can formulate goals in concrete terms, we should, if we cannot, then muddling through is better than inaction. This concludes today's episode of The Literate Caveman. Next week, we will continue our review, taking some examples from history to explore Dorner's theories on working with complex systems. Thank you for listening. Go read a book.